0: Great. Uh, today we're going to continue on the series I'm doing on being an ambassador of Christ. Uh, I'd love you to go back if you'd like and listen to the last two messages because we're just building on that. But uh, in the prayer meeting this morning, uh, Mike Shaper um, had a had an encouragement for us. And if he's here, there he is. Mike, please come forward and um, share what him brief, briefly. Share what impacted your life this weekend.
1: Hello. Perfect. Good morning. Uh, just briefly, what Mike's referencing is this weekend there was a conference that some of you are aware of, some of you were able to attend, um, and I just wanted to try to my best to represent what was spoken this weekend. Um, what really impacted me... This weekend was, uh, there was three sessions with a guy named Dan Moeller. Some of you might have heard of him, some might not. But uh, one thing that stuck out out of the many, many things that stuck out was he brought up Becoming Love, which was the the theme of the weekend, essentially. The recurring theme was Becoming Love. So what that means is, and how he, I'm going to try to go as verbatim as I can. What that means is, is Jesus is love. We are supposed to be like Christ, therefore we're supposed to be love. Mm. So Jesus is love, and we're supposed to be like Jesus, therefore we're supposed to be love. So what does that look like and what does that mean? It's supposed to be selfless. We're supposed to be unconditionally loving people and giving to people, et cetera, et cetera, not because we're looking for something in return, but because we want to show them love, how God loves us and how God is supposed to be through us, and what Dan reiterated over and over again is that it always comes back to your relationship with God, how then you can be a conduit to the people around you. so it starts it can start as easy as in like a church with something that you don't know, but it can go to your workplace and and everything else like that, but just to continue and encourage you guys as it encouraged me, is that to just remember to be love. Like, as Christ is love.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. The more we spend time with Jesus, the more we fall fall in love with Him. Amen? No, Romans 5 says that God's love is not achieved, it's received. And Romans 5 tells us that God pours out His love into our hearts by His Spirit. So, in the natural, we may find it hard to love, but in Jesus and through his spirit we can find the capacity to love the unloved and to love ourselves. That's a big problem in the in the in, in our lives, um, condemnation and so on. And that's not from God. When to tell you he loves you unconditionally, he loves you for who you are and not for what you do. But out of that love we do things for him. And that's what we're going to be speaking a bit about again today. Being an ambassador for Christ, and uh, the key text that we've been looking at is 2 Corinthians 5:17 to 21, if we could have it up there, <clears throat> it says this, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. When we get saved, when we are born again, everything in our past. Is cancelled by the blood of Jesus, and in fact, we become a brand new creation—not a a a juiced-up creation of what we were before. But God takes our sin, He separates it as far as the east is from the west, and He makes us a brand new person that never existed before. And I want to unpack that uh, in a few weeks as we look at John chapter three and the. The, uh, the process of regeneration, of being born again. Because what you were and what you are now, if you are saved, is a completely different ter- person. Yes, we have a sin nature, and uh, we need to deal with that uh, through Jesus and through His blood. But we are a new creation. The Word of God says the old is gone. The old you is gone. All your past history that the devil tries to remind you of to stop you from being a lover of God and a lover of people, is gone. It's gone. This is the Word of God. And the Hebrew and the Greek for gone is gone. And you have become new. All this is from God. He reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the re, the message of reconciliation we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though was God was making his appeal to the world through us God appeals through the to the world through us through loving people unconditionally through serving them and we implore you on Christ's behalf, to be reconciled to God. The word reconciliation, uh, we know what an ambassador is. An ambassador represents a king or a government and normally he goes to countries, and one of his jobs when he's there is to restore relationship with that country. So if there's uh, talk of war, if there's things going wrong between the nations, the ambassador is the representative that the government or the king um, sends to restore that relationship. And that's what the king of kings has done for us. He has saved us and called us to be ambassadors, to restore relationship with people that don't know him. It's a powerful, powerful privilege and a powerful thing to, to realize that God trusts us so much that he chose us. And he's called us to represent him. It says, God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That alone you could meditate on for weeks, that one scripture. In the context of representing God well today, as we look at the subject, I want to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you have heard that parable? A few of you, if you haven't. I'll briefly explain it. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. So if you haven't read it or if you've forgotten about it, maybe over this week you can just consider that passage. And we see here an expert of the law come to Jesus and ask him a question. And he asked this question, what shall I do to gain eternal life? It was a really good question. But his motive was incorrect, and Jesus knows this. He was a Pharisee, and he was trying to trip Jesus up. So, in Jesus, instead of answering him directly, asks a question. And why did Jesus ask a question? Why not? Sorry, I know it's a little bit early today. Why not? <laughs> He asked, what is written in the law? This is what Jesus asked him. And this was the, the, the basis of Mike's little talk earlier on. And this expert in the law stands there and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says this, and he replies, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But this man, knowing the law, knew that he hadn't kept the law. Because none of us can keep the law. And that's why we need Jesus. And we'll see that as we go on. So he goes, instead of accepting that, the word of God says, and wanting to justify himself. Go and read it. Verse 29. So often... When things go wrong in our lives and, or when people, things go wrong in the church, we justify ourselves by other, be, others' behavior or by diverting the question. So he diverts the question from this incredible truth that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. And he asks this question, well, who is my neighbor? The question is, first of all, why did he feel the need to justify himself? Because Jesus had put his relationship with God right in his face and he could not answer it. And knowing in his heart that he could not even keep one law, he changes the question to who is my neighbor? Romans 3.20 tells us this, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law rather through the law we become conscious of sin so we're going to look at some of the reasons that the law is there before you get too depressed because none of us have kept the law of God we know Calvin speaking the great reformer Calvin speaking of the law says the law is a mirror a mirror to our soul and we know when we look in a mirror, we can see all the spots and blemishes on ourselves. And when we look into the perfect law, that's what we see. And we look, but and when we look into the measure, the mirror, and measure ourselves against God's law, we see ourselves falling hopefully short of the standard of God. But here's the trap. This is the trap of the enemy, and it's the trap we all fall into. Because we don't like looking at our, in our own mirror at our shortcomings, at our own sin in the context of God's perfect law, we defer like the lawyer did, and we look at the sins of others and judge ourselves by their sin. Surely I'm not as bad as them. I don't do this. I don't do that. I just do little sins. And therefore, I'm a good person. And we justify ourselves. Not on the basis of the law, but on the basis of others' actions. I'm not this. I'm not that. I must be okay. And that was the basis of uh, the Pharisees' relationship with people. And we see that as Jesus tells another parable in Luke 18, verse 10 to 14. He was Jesus was addressing some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down at everybody else, like this expert in the law. He says here in this parable, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. God, I'm a Christian. I thank you that I'm not like those dirty, rotten sit down the street. I thank you that I'm not like other people, like a robber, like evildoers, like adulterers, or even like this dirty, rotten tax collector standing next to me. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of what I get. But the tax collector, on the other hand, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son, son too. And we'll see actually in that parable, the older brother actually sinned more than the younger brother. If you want to hear about that, say um, coming to church. Amen. God have mercy on me. He says, Jesus says, I tell you that this man who humbled himself, who took responsibility for his sin rather than the other went home justified before God. Before all those who exalt themselves, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those that humble themselves will be exalted. See, in Galatians three twenty three twenty four, 24 Paul explains the reason of the law, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, the reason God gave us ten commandments and we've broken them all, or most of them. But you only have to break one to be a sinner. You don't have to break all ten. But Paul writes that the reason of the law is, and he says this in Galatians 3, 24. He says, before faith came, we were prisoners by the law, locked up until uh, faith could be revealed. What are you saying? That we, it is impossible to keep the law in our own strength. And instead of the Pharisees and the religious people acknowledging that they can't do it in their own strength, they looked at others and said, well, at least I'm better than them. At least I don't behave like that tax collector. And Paul says here, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And this is the revelation that Martin Luther had. Justification by faith. As he was reading the book of Romans. Romans 4 and Romans 5. He was trying to earn his salvation. He was beating himself in the monastery. Fasting. Going into solitary confinement. And the more he did that, the more he realized how wretched he was. And that he could never save himself. And while he was doing penance and all of this stuff. He read Romans 4 and 5, and he said, We are not justified by what we do. We are justified by what, we, what and whom we believe. And that is Jesus Christ. Only in Christ can we be justified. So the law was put in charge, uh, in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So what does that mean? When we look at the mirror of the standard of God, of the law of God, and we see we are hopelessly unable to keep it, that should drive us to our knees because we should understand through that our need for our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why, that's what the law was do. The law was put there, perfect law. It's not a bad law to show us our need for Jesus Christ. So how does the Lord do this? It reveals our sin. It reveals our hopelessness and inability to save ourselves And our absolute need for a Savior. And church, if we don't understand our relationship with the law of God, we will never fully understand God's love, mercy, and grace. Because we think that we're good people. Because we think we're doing good things right. We think that, well, I'm a good person, so let me just add Jesus to my life. Let me just add him as an add-on to my life. I'll just have Jesus uh, come along with me. Jesus came to die to make us a brand new pe- person, to make us alive to God and dead to sin. That doesn't mean we don't sin, because Jesus is there every time we sin. But like the tax collector, we come to our Father and we repent. And one John one says one nine says when we Confess our sin to our God. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, God is not faced with the fact that we will sin because He knows that. And all of us are dealing with our sin nature. But He's faced with our response. And if we look at David and Saul, David. I think like many, he's more than likely one of the heroes of our faith. But when I read the account of Saul and I read the account of David, I don't know who sinned worse, if we're honest. Saul did an an offering without Samuel there. He disobeyed Samuel. He disobeyed God. And when he was confronted with his sin, he blamed everybody else. The sheep were bleating, so I thought I'd better kill them and sacrifice them. The people were getting impatient. You were late. That's what he says. And in that context, Samuel says, today the kingdom has been taken away from you. And we see David uh, becomes king. He arranges for somebody's murder. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So that he can marry Bathsheba, who he had made pregnant While Uriah was at war. And Nathan confronts him with his sin. And David says this, Psalm 51, I often quoted. He says this, against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. I take responsibility. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault. It was nobody else's fault. I took responsibility against you and you only. Then he says, Uh, Do not take your spirit from me, Lord God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me, Lord God. Forgive me. And God pours out his grace upon him. And God does that daily, daily, daily. You see, the Bible says when we compare ourselves to ourselves, we are not wise. You see... Many like the expert of the law thought that on the day of judgment they could justify themselves by being a good person. They could stand before God, say I led a good life, I'm okay. But they're comparing themselves to others and not to the law of God. So back to the question. Who is my neighbor? Is it the person next door to me whom I don't know or care about? The people in my city living on the streets, dealing with addictions and drugs and so on. Lord, I thank you I'm not like that. Lord, I thank you I'm not like that. Those are our neighbors. Those are the people that God have put us in the city to be salt and light to. Those are the people that God loves. The tax collectors. The people on the streets. The businessmen that, uh, that are uh, struggling with all the wealth and everything they've got. to have no satisfaction. There's big hole in their lives. There's holes in their marriages. We all live behind these picket fences. Invisible ones nowadays. In these perfect homes. And people are dying and crying out to God. And he said, you are my ambassador. You're the one that I've called to reconcile men to God. Now, it's not easy. And it doesn't happen overnight. And some people get um, worse. (laughs) They might hate us for what we say. But Paul says it doesn't matter. Because in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, you know what? I planted a seed, a seed of love. A seed of truth, a seed of the word, whatever it is. A seed of mercy, a seed of love. I planted that seed in that person's heart. And they rejected it maybe, but the seed was sown. Then Apollos came along. We don't know whether it's that year, the next year, or the next year. Apollos came along and watered that seed. How did he do that? Maybe by loving them, by sharing them the love of God, by telling them Jesus loves them. And then it was that God that made it grow. We don't know in the chain of a person's life. We might think that that person has absolutely rejected God, but we have no idea what they're going through. We are not living in their shoes. And I've told this story before, and it's not about me, but I tell you I felt this so tangibly in Brandon Lake Correctional Center. A number of years uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, for two to three years, I'd go there every Wednesday night and run a Bible study. And at that stage, you were allowed to do that. And then I stopped after three years or so because they changed the law, the laws of the land, to say that you cannot do that anymore. But one of those nights, in that jail, I can remember it was like tomorrow. Most of the guys that would come, to the study would come because they wanted to, it to look good on their parole. I'm going to church oh that's a good guy tick I'm doing this tick 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 they weren't interested but they came anyway and I didn't care why they came and the one night this argument broke out and the argument was who created God one of the guys and I'm telling you it just got totally out of hand these guys were at each other, and I'm sitting there in this uh, room, locked in there with these guys. I'm thinking, okay, what do I do now? So after a while, and it was they were getting in each other's face like we can, arguing stuff that we know nothing about. And I said, whoa, 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 guys, let's calm down, let's calm down, let's calm down now, and they calm down. I said, listen, I can't prove God exists 'Cause they asked me if I've seen God. I said, I know him in my heart. That's how I know. I've never seen God personally. I said, But I want God I'm gonna pray and ask God to reveal Himself to you. And they all well, whatever. Some of them were staring at me like this. I closed my eyes more out of fear than anything else. <laughs> and I prayed, God, I pray, I know you love these men. I know you love them, Lord God. Will you reveal your love to them? And I tell you what, it's as if time stood still. It was like liquid gold in there. Just an absolute peace and tranquility. I've never felt that ever again. You see, when we're on mission, God moves. We're the saved ones. He doesn't have to prove himself to us here every Sunday. Well, I wonder if God's going to move this week. I'm going to come and check us out. I don't feel God. Well, maybe if you did something for God, you would feel Him. Because you get desperate. And you say, God, help me. And it was incredible. And in the jail, I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that. I tell you, I couldn't imagine I would get claustrophobic. And this is not even a maximum security. After three hours of being locked in this place. I'd feel it in my heart. I couldn't imagine what those guys were feeling. And... There was always noise. There's guys shouting from one cell to the next down as the guards walk past and F-bombs and everything else is going there. And it just went absolutely silent. Not out there, but in this room. We couldn't even hear that noise. And I looked up and guys we were starting to cry, these grown men. And some of them quietly got up and walked out. It was just too much. Another stood there, sat there, and I said, you will never ever, whether you receive God or not, be able to deny that God loves you. You will never be able to do that. And I remember it's like tomorrow, and I don't know what happened to their lives, but I know that I know, that I know, that those guys felt the love of God. And I'm praying that somebody will have the courage to go and water that seed. And somebody will have the courage to come and love them so that they can get to know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Amen? That's what it is to be an ambassador of Christ. It's not knowing the law. This was an expert in the law, and we need to know the word of God. But it's applying it in love. And it's Jesus instead of answering, here's my neighbor, he tells him a story. Parables are simply stories that Jesus told, illustrations, the greatest storyteller ever to walk this earth. And he tells him this, a priest on his way to Jericho walks by and sees a man lying in the road, stripped, beaten, and half dead. But instead of stopping, he passed by on the other side. This is paraphrased. We don't know why he passed by. Jesus doesn't tell him. Maybe was in a rush to an appointment in Jericho. Maybe he was a donkey salesman and there's a guy who wanted donkeys there or something. Maybe he had to do something in Jericho, so he rushed by. Maybe it was just too inconvenient. What am I going to do with this dude? Maybe he was just afraid that he would receive the same beating. Then we see after the priest comes a Levite and he does the same thing. He sees the guy crosses the road and keeps walking. He didn't want to get involved in the mess. And as a result these so-called religious men left a dying man on the side of the road to die. Then in verse 33 to 35 in Jesus' story a Samaritan, Samaritan as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Not only does he bandage his wounds, but he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to an inn. He gives the guy two coins and he says, please take care of this man. And he says this, if there are more expenses, keep a tab for me and I'll come back and pay them. Then Jesus asked this question. Of this expert, this religious expert. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the, male, to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the Lord replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus simply told him, Go and do likewise. You see, true compassion is not just a feeling. Oh, brother. I feel your pain. Cheers. Christianese. Christianese for I'm not really interested, but I feel your pain. Compassion just doesn't feel. Compassion shows it in word and deed. That is compassion. God, you put me in the spot. It's inconvenient. I might get killed by these robbers. He might curse me when, I've, when he's healed and not even serve you. But you've put me here for a purpose. And you see, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, is not a building. Thank heavens we, we meet in a gymnasium because this certainly is not the body of Christ. But you go into big cathedrals and beautiful churches and all of that and say, ah, oh, this is so beautiful. I'm going to come pay my homage to my God, and then I'm going to get on with my own life. But imagine if the body of Christ, if us in this room just took a hold of this, and we helped one person just once a month. Just one person. Just one person, whether they shouted at us, whether they believed us or not. But we tell him why we're doing it. We tell him because Jesus loves him. Now God's an easy word to use these days. It means nothing. Jesus. Jesus loves them. This is not some vague God. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The triune God. He loves you. And that's why I'm doing this. Well, blah, 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 blah. That's cool. I'm going to do it anyway. And you move on. Another story. Jan von Rensberg, sitting here, a friend of mine, a very good friend. We were in a prayer meeting. And one of our, our councilmen here, an uh, elderly guy, was on his deathbed. It was on the front page of the newspaper. So Johan said, Can we pray for him? Now we did the religious thing and we prayed for him. But afterwards, Johan said, why don't we try and visit him? Oh, jeez. That's another level now. Oh, have I got time? I said, no, of course, Johan. Do you know him? No, he said, I don't know him, but I can phone somebody. Three days, two days later, Johan phones me. says, we got an appointment. Phoned the wife. The wife said, of course, we need prayer. Or something like that. But she welcomed us in. We go into this living room, and this poor old guy is sitting in a in a rocket chair with a blanket on, like this. And we come in. His wife had told him we're coming. He said, Thank you for coming. Then he proceeds to tell us his life. And he lived a really good life, a bad life, in between life. And while he was talking, I just felt an urgency say to this man. If you die tonight, in other words, if you were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, or before the white throne judgment, should I say, do you know where you're going to go? You know when somebody's in that position, you have the attention. Have you ever received Jesus Christ into your life? I don't know what the reaction would be. But he said something like this you know When I was about 10, now 70-something, or 12, I can't remember. I'm not good with details. Johannes, he'll correct all the details. I went to a youth camp, a Christian youth camp. And I remember giving my heart to Jesus 70, 60 years ago. And he said, I never went back. But I remember that. That seed, that imperishable seed lay dormant till three weeks before he died. And we came in, he confessed his sin, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and he's in eternity now. Because of one man's obedience that that said, let's not just pray for him, let's go and see him. I didn't do that. Donna Lohana, I'm going to say this about her. I get a call one Friday. She's a nurse. I'm not a hero in any of these because I didn't do it. i they, they set it up. And Donna finds me Said this person is on their deathbed and the family has asked, can a priest come and see them? So they asked her. So she said, so I find you. Do you know, I was in the middle of my preparation and I love preparing. I zone out. I can be in the buzz and not see or hear anybody. But I hate being interrupted. So why am I sitting at the buzz anyway? But... At this at this day, on this day, I was in my office and she phoned, Can you come right now? And I said, Yeah, but my heart was saying, Oh jeez. I'm driving there. And I get to the hospital, I walk into this room, all the people around the bed, and this guy is stressing out. Stressed. And they say, This is my dad? He's been like this. For three days, he just won't let go. He's breathing heavily. I held his hand. It's a privilege. If you want to know eternity, come with me sometimes to palliative care, and lead people to God. I held his hand, and I said, "Sir, if you can hear me, will you squeeze my hand?" Guys like weak little squeeze. I said, "Sir." Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you don't, if you do, squeeze my hand. Didn't squeeze it. I said, do you want to know him? Do you know where you're going? He squeezed my hand again. I led him through the sinner's prayer. The transcendent peace of God came in that room. By the time I got back, within 30 minutes, he had passed away peacefully. Peacefully, he just... The daughter. I was uh, ministering in Toronto just after that. I'm not a big hero ministering here and there, but it just so happened I was ministering in Toronto, and she'd flown over for this. And I, she had asked me if I ever go there. I told her I'd be there. She drove an hour and a half from where she was to where I, was, and she came up to me and she was crying and crying and crying, thank me, thank me, thank me. Through that, she got saved, started going to church. And she said, I'm working on my family now. One phone call. And a bad heart. And God still worked. Hmm. You see, church, our Father in heaven knowing that we could never achieve the standard of the law and that we could never save ourselves no matter how good we are and because all, we, because all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory in love and compassion sent his son to the cross to pay the price for our sins. That wasn't convenient for God. That wasn't convenient for Jesus. God did it out of love. He knew that man could not save himself, no matter how good he thought he was. And God demonstrated his love and compassion by doing everything he could to give us an opportunity to choose him. And yet we can still reject him. But he says in Romans 5 that God demonstrated his love in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says very rarely will somebody die for for a a good man, a godly man, but for a good man some possibly will. But Christ demonstrated his love. He died having no guarantee that you sitting today will respond to his love. And that's because he loves you so much that he gave you free will. Free will is, a, is an act of grace and an act of God. He did not want a robot. And it's up to us to respond, church as his children, to re- represent his heart to this hurting world, to be his hands and his feet, and to shine the light and the love of God, to be an ambassador of Christ. We're finished with the psalm here, and if the worship team can come, I'm nearly finished. Psalm one hundred and three, verse eight to thirteen. It starts. Psalm one hundred and three, an amazing psalm. Go and read it. I would I wanted to put the whole psalm in here, but for time, just the end part. This is the God we serve. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He loves you. He loves you unconditionally. And if you've fallen away from Him, like the prodigal, and we'll see all you have to do is come home. And He opens His arms and He receives you. And this is the God we serve. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities as breakers of the law. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And if we truly have compassion, church, we need to speak the truth of God's word. We cannot water it down. These are eternal things that we're talking about. God wrote his word. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by man, but it's God's Word. Jesus is the living Word. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. John chapter 1, Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And when we're dealing with people, It's no good saying it's all right if you carry on like you are. We're not judging them. We're loving them. And we're not rejecting them because they're different. The church has done a bad job. The church has done a bad job and chased people away because we have been like the expert of the law. I'm so glad I'm not like them. But we need to love and embrace them. We need to go the extra mile. But we need to tell them the truth of the Word of God. And sometimes they won't receive it. But the Word of God, the, the, the Bible says, is eternal seed. And when I plant a seed in the garden, and I put it in there, and I cover it over, I don't dig it up every day to see if it's growing. I plant that seed of love. I say, I love you, my brother. I love you, my sister, but... I love you enough to want to tell you what the Word of God says. I don't want that to come in our relationship, and sometimes it may, unfortunately. But it should never be from our side. And then let's allow the Holy Spirit to bring the reign of God, the Spirit of God on that seed, that imperishable seed. And that seed in this man took 60, 70 years to come forth and bloom. And he will spend eternity with God because of that one conversation, because of a man who didn't just pray for him, but uh, invited me to come with him to see him, that man saved. Speak the truth in love. It's hard. But we'll give an account for every word. The Word of God says... And if we have compassion for people, we will speak the truth in love, not wanting anyone to perish. But let our actions speak louder than our words. You cannot put ten tons of truth or even one ton of truth on a relational bridge that can only carry one pound. Hey, guy, I just, I just met you. I see you, the sinner. You're doing this. You're doing drugs and all of that. I want to tell you God loves you. Unless you receive him, you're going to die. Cheers. We build relationship in that jail. Some of them were there most of the time. Captive audience. Wonderful. Build relationship. Get to know them. Love them. Let them ask us. Let them ask us. What is it? What is it? What do you think of this? And when I speak to somebody and they say, what do you believe? One of my first things that I say to them is, if, this is, if what I believe is going to hinder our relationship, I would rather not tell you right now. But if it's not, I want to have grace for what you believe because I want you to have grace for what I believe. God is greater than anybody else. I don't have to worry. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. That's cool. That's your deal. But I do. And this is why I believe it. I was lost, I was, I was, but now I'm found. I was like that. I was living in sin. I was doing all of this thing, but God saved me. Oh, that's a whole bunch of whatever. Next time, maybe a year later, somebody comes. That little cup of water that they needed. That hug, that encouragement says, Hey man, why are you doing this? I don't know really, but God loves you, man. Jesus loves you. We will see the city. We're praying for the city. Jesus said, don't pray for the city. Do you know that? Don't pray for the harvest. Pray for the church, the harvesters, to get off their butts and go and be sold in light. He says, don't worry about the harvest. It's white. It's there. Oh, God, there's such a terrible city. So much hard stuff. Lord, yes, we pray. He's not saying that in a sense that we don't pray for people. But we sent to, he's, he's talking to this where we pray "Oh God save the city and we do nothing about it. Next week. God, why isn't the city saved? I asked you last week. You know, this is really a hard city. I'm moving from Nanaimo. It sucks here. I'm going to the Bible Belt. I'm going to be the buckle of the Bible Belt. Why aren't you moving, God? Why is my city still the same? Because we aren't loving it. Love your city is an event. But if that's our badge for the year, I'd rather not do it. Will you join with me? Just a ragtag bunch of people like myself. Some of you aren't ragtags, so please don't be offended. But the ones who are like me. And trust God. Trust God to put people in our lives who we can sow seed, whether they're rejected or not. And then trust God again. We've got about three, 400 people in this church when everybody comes. That means if each one of us reached out to one person and they got saved in a year, we'd be 800. God, bring them in. God says, no, I told you to go and bring them in. I've done my job. I'm seated on the throne now. I've given you the authority and the power. You bring them in. No, God, you bring them in. And nobody's coming in. Bring them in. Go into all the world and make disciples. Preach the gospel. Feed the sick. Clothe the hungry. Give the water. Visit the jails. Go to hospital. Go to the old age homes. People are desperate for friendship in those homes if they get saved through that visit or a few visits or through 10 visits or not even through yours through somebody else's eventually it's going to be accounted to you in heaven for eternity think and use what God's given you for the glory of the kingdom amen thank you church